there's really only one way I can go into uh, my message. It's, uh, it's for us just to spend a little interlude time here uh, in continued prayer and focus on God. And um, So why don't you just stay in an attitude of prayer. Go ahead and bow your head. And let me talk to you just for a second before, before I get to our message for today. Uh, and I, I do this because it, it occurred to me as I was coming up that my introduction to my message was, was abrupt and inappropriate transition. It uh, further occurred to me during this last song that um, I need you guys to know that the only, the only way that I can stand here before you and do what I do, the only way that Preston can stand here before you and do what he does uh, in a leadership capacity is to understand what we've, what we've tried to communicate through song this morning, that uh, we, are, we are totally and completely in awe of how completely merciful and compassionate our God is towards us. And here's why, because we, and you, right where you are, you know the depth of your depravity. You know the dirt. You know, uh, you know the wrong that is within. And uh, I confess to you that as I, as I wait to come up here, it often occurs to me that I have no right in and of myself, I have no right to stand here before you. It's been said before, I believe by Spurgeon, that if you, the congregation, knew everything about me that I know and that God knows about me, you'd never let me in the pulpit again. He went on to say that if we knew everything that you and God knew about you, we wouldn't let you in the church again. I guess when I'm told the playing field, he, he took care of the depravity. He took care of that dirt. He did it. That's why his grace is so amazing. In turn, we say back to the God who's done all of that for us, I am WH, wholly yours. We could do nothing, nothing less. Maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you haven't, in recognition of God's holiness, you haven't given over, absolutely surrendered, completely given over, wholly, to the God who knows you completely and yet loves you still. Maybe this morning, through these songs, it's occurred to you that this God is a holy God. And uh, we are not. And that we need help if we're going to stand before him one day. Jesus Christ, who is God, and that's the irony, he stepped out of heaven, came to earth, lived the life that we cannot live, to pay with his blood the debt of all mankind's sin. If only we would let him pay for it. And here's what that takes. That takes in your heart two things. Repent.
you're placing all your chips, you're betting on one man. You're putting all your hope in the cross of Christ. Your faith is in Him. So that one day when you stand before Him, all your sin lies bare to the King. And you have no excuse. He'll step up in your place and say, I paid for this one. Hey, if you haven't done that, if you haven't said, God, I recognize your holiness. I recognize my sin. You deserve for me to turn. Give you everything about me that I can give you in repentance. And holy King, I place my faith in your Son so that when I stand before you, I'll not be standing on my own merit. I'll stand trusting in what you've done on my behalf. If you haven't done that, it would be inappropriate for me to go into today's message without giving you the opportunity to do that. For those of you who have done that, you may, like I have this morning, been reminded of God's holiness. we give you this time we've been humbled by the story that these songs have told of your greatness your holiness and well we should be we like Moses and Job and Isaiah we we fall and we tremble in your presence we hide our face like Adam we seek to cover our sinfulness. You are something, something beyond us. So we just fall down before you, Lord. If for the first time some of us have fallen before you this morning, if for the first time some of us have wholly fallen before you, confess that we we are not impressive. Lord, I pray that you would you would enter into their life. That you would fill their heart this very moment. That they would know that your grace and your mercy has covered them. Your blood has covered them. You have washed them. You have made them clean. Would you give them great peace in that? Even as they sit. Even as I go on to ramble through this message, Father, would you just give them great humility and peace in what they've done? Would they be so amazed that they 
they leave here saying, I don't remember a word that that preacher said, but I know that God is. God is holy. And he's accepted me through his son, Jesus. For the rest of us, Father, we, we buckle down now. We draw attention to your word. We draw attention to what you have for us this morning so that we more completely and wholly become abandoned for your sake, for your holiness. Bearing with me. Uh, here's how I was going to start. I've never known a young person, and I'm talking middle school age here, right, Michael? So you just exclude yourself. You're an old cat. High school and all. I've never known a young person uh, who just loves history. Any, any of you? I mean, have you ever met a young person who just is just in love with history? I mean, maybe there are some. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are those rare few boys and girls who in middle school are falling in love with history, na- names, dates, chronology, facts, foreign countries, Wars, etc. I mean, maybe there are. If you show me that man or woman, that young man or woman, I can probably guarantee you that they're going to be a success because that is that is rare. Amen. I mean, that's rare that you find a young person who just embraces history. You ever wonder about that? I mean, that's that was true for me. Uh, my brother and I joke. Uh, if you've heard me talk about my father, you know that uh, we. Uh, Affectionately referred to him as Sergeant Ruiz. He is uh, a military man. And um, my brother and I joke that uh, um, without us knowing why or without us understanding completely how, we are in some strange and uh, fearful ways becoming more like him. Uh, We joke that every now and then when no one else is in our home, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, in, in particular, there were, there were two genres that, that our TV uh, was, I thought, stuck on. Uh, number one, if, if it were in black and white, and for the longest time I thought our TV was just black and white, okay? But if it were in black and white uh, and it were having to do anything with war, if it had anything to do with a real true story and it was in black and white, then it was on, no matter what else was on. I, used to, I, I remember saying the words to my dad. There are all these shows in color. Why are we watching this old, flickering, fuzzy movie? I remember saying that. Uh, the other, the other uh, thing that our TV would seemingly be stuck on is this, uh, the History Channel. You know this channel? The History Channel. Now here's what scares my brother and I is that when we find ourselves, and, and we don't think about it, but every now and then we've concurred that every now and then, now that we are the sovereign remote controller in our home, when everyone else is gone, I, I just find myself drawn when I'm flicking the channels. For some reason, I get stuck on these black and white movies. If there's an old war movie on, I'm stuck. And it's like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It's, for some reason, you can't turn it. You know what I'm talking about? That and the History Channel. And I've just, every now and then, a few years ago, I I realized I'm turning into my father. What a mindful evolution of things in life, isn't it? 
that the older we get, the more appreciative. For some reason, we seem to be of history, right? It seems to grow on us. We seem to appreciate it more. And maybe it's because when we're young, uh, we're not thinking about the old. We're not thinking of the past. We're thinking of life. We don't worry about the dead guys, okay? We're thinking about the life that is before us. We're pressing on. We don't want to look back. We don't want to waste our time with what's already gone. We want to know what's coming for us. Maybe that has something to do with it. But then as we we get a little older, we mature a little bit, it begins to make a little more sense why history might be important, why we go back, why we look back, why we turn back, why we focus back. Um, I think this happens in Christianity. I think it happens in the church as well. When we are young in our faith, It's hard for us to find value in the past. Let me say that again. When we're young in our faith, I think in the same way, it's hard for us sometimes early on to find value in the past. Do you know that uh, your Bible is a majority? The genre of history? Straight, historical narrative. Things that... It is what God would have us to have. Okay? Now put this together. It is a majority history, historical narrative, story. And it is inspired. It is exactly what God would have us to have in our hand. You see, you see where I'm going here? It's there. It is a majority historical stories. For some divine purpose and reason. God intended it that way. Stories. God has given us stories. So in an effort to keep us here at Cornerstone from becoming myopic. You know what myopic means? Myopic is an is a eye doctor word for those of us who may just have uh, the inability to see past what is right in front of us. Someone who is has a myopia, uh, sees clearly what is immediately in front of them, but they can't see what is further down the road. Now that we apply that spiritually, I believe Peter uses that same, that's a Greek word, myopic, he uses that word, and it not only tells us that we have this tendency to see what's immediately in front of us and not what's down the road, not what's ahead, but we have this tendency to see what's immediately in front of us and not what is behind what has gone in not only recent, but just today, however, I, I thought it prudent for us to spend a little bit of time talking about how we approach the genre of history, being that it is such a large category in our scriptures. How do we, how do we read it? We have spent uh, recently the most amount of our time together on Sunday morning in the epistles. We've gone through Colossians. We looked at Philemon. Uh, a while back we did Philippians early on in Cornerstone's history. Uh, we, we've looked at that genre of writing. You look differently at that genre than you do getting into the stories, the historical narratives of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there are books written, okay, volumes written on 
not only how you read your Bible, but how you read the historical sections of your Bible and how you approach the historical sections of your Bible. So, in, in, uh, in just this one week, I thought it worthy of us to do what may be uh, the most academic of the messages I've given you in a long time. And uh, I'm not going to even have you open anywhere into your scripture. I just want to give you uh, a few points to have in the back of your mind as we jump into this new genre of history in our Bible, okay? Uh, You may want to write these down, or you may not. Maybe you know them already. But these are some uh, basic principles for how we approach the historical narratives and way into the Scriptures. And so today what I'm telling you is, I'm going to give you some just some simple basic principles on how you approach the scriptures so that it will in turn uh, have the result that it was intended to have in your life. If you want the Bible to impact you in the way it was intended to impact you, specifically in its narrative story portions, then we have to approach it in the right way, okay? So if you've ever wondered, if you ever wanted to know some simple ways that you can understand more clearly the scriptures, especially the Old Testament narratives, then listen up this morning. Number one, and I'm going to fly through these because I spent time earlier. Uh, Number one, like all narratives, biblical narratives make use of things like setting, character, and plot. Okay? Like any narrative, any narrative outside of the Bible, any story, narratives make use of things like the setting, the context, Characters that are in the stories that play a part and the plot that runs through the story, right? That just makes sense. Understand, however, that a biblical narrative, a biblical narrative has more than just the surface to it, okay? Meaning there is more to them than the immediate story. Uh, We also need to understand that they are more than stories with a moral lesson for us specifically, okay? So when we approach these stories of the Bible are not so much a history as we think of history, meaning a list of names and dates and events that occurred in a chronology and we memorize them for the test and we quickly forget them after the test. You follow me? That's what we think of as history. It's just a a rote list of facts, dates, names, kings, nations, dynasties, etc., and we get them all in order and we memorize them the best we can and, then we, and we soon forget them. No, the historical narratives are more of what they call a historiography. Meaning it's the story of the names, the dates, and the facts. It's the story that those characters, that setting, that plot, all together come to tell. There is a greater story that is more important than the individual names, dates, facts, and chronology. All right? Uh, It's been said that the biblical narrative touches on at least three levels. Now catch this. The biblical narrative, the biblical stories, the historical stories, they touch on at least three levels. And they refer to them as, uh, in scholarly circles, as the upper, middle, and lower levels. All right. Now let me me explain this for you. The upper level that a story uh, can impact, and just pick any story that you like from the Old Testament or even the New Testament. You can pick the story of Moses. 
You can pick the story of Job. You can pick any story from the Old Testament uh, that you like that comes to mind easily. But there is, in every Old Testament and New Testament narrative, he is behind the scenes. And there is a point, there is a level to which every historical narrative in Scripture plays into this overarching eternal story that God is telling in his dealings with humanity. Okay, So God is the hero in every story, whether it is explicit or not. All stories in the Bible have something to say about God. Okay, That is the upper level. And I, they also deal with what's called the middle level. And the middle level is God's working out that overarching story amidst a specific people of his choosing. In the Old Testament, it would be the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, it would be the church, both Jew and Gentile. On the mid-level, every story, every historical narrative in Scripture has something to say about God's specific dealing with His chosen people. Okay? And that's another level that all these stories touch. The third level we call the lower level, and it refers to the individual stories that form the previous two levels, as you might Understand, it's the, it's the individual story of Moses' mom putting him in the basket and how that fits into the mid-level story and then how all that collectively fits into the overarching story of what God is doing throughout all humanity. And so as we approach historical narratives, as we approach these stories, it's moving to a culmination. Okay? There is a greater story. Number two. Uh, like all narratives, these stories have authors, as you might suspect. And uh, incidentally, in the Old Testament specifically, we don't always know exactly who the author is. But that is actually true in most Near East ancient stories, narratives. Uh, it is typical that they don't tell who the author is. In many cases, especially in your Old Testament, uh, where there is a question mark, we have an idea of who the author is, so don't worry. But the majority of the time, it doesn't affect the story itself Anyway, okay? But that said, they're, uh, the goal of the author, and this is important for you to understand as you go to any historical narrative in Scripture, the goal of the author, listen, is never to be exhaustive, okay? Historically speaking. The goal was not to be exhaustive. With the help of the Holy Spirit's prompting, these writers recorded what was necessary for them to make their divinely inspired point. Again, the goal of biblical narrative is either old, in either the Old or the New Testament has never been purely or solely for the purposes of historical documentation. You follow me here? The Bible's purpose is not to be a historical record, okay? Although it deals in the historic genre, the goal of the writers is never just to give a rote, objective, list or chronology, okay? And again, we rest assured as this information is inspired that we get what God would have us to get. The gospel writer of the gospel, John, alluded to this in John 20, verse 30 and 31. He said, Therefore, many other signs Jesus did among his disciples that are not recorded in this book. And that just makes sense, right? That the gospel writer didn't write down everything that Jesus did, that he didn't follow behind Jesus with a little notebook documenting every move that he made. It'd be a much longer book 
right? He goes on to say that they are not included, but what has been written has been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. There's a goal. There's a point. And what has been written and what is included is there so that it's there for a reason. And we can rest that it is there in completion. Number three, the next bit of information uh, I'll confess you might not find significant until we get into the stories, but I I found this intriguing. Uh, One thing you need to know as you approach historical narratives in Scripture is this, that the biblical narrators, the storytellers, the guys who, who write down these stories, okay, they most often withhold their own judgment or editorial critique, okay? They just simply tell the story, and they don't give you any extra of their own. The author leaves us there with the characters, with the scene, with the events as they unfold. He paints that picture for us, and he leaves us there. He leaves us with that. So we're left, and I believe intentionally, to make judgments for ourselves based on the scenes that unfold before us. The author, more often than not, does not judge the situation or the characters. He simply tells us the story. Okay? So as you go into historical narratives in the Bible, you cannot assume that the the author is going to tell you the story and then spell out the application for you. More often than not, we get the story and we're left with the Holy Spirit to deal in our hearts as to what he would have do with that. Uh, Number four, biblical narratives most often teach vicariously instead of directly. Do you know this? That as you read historical narratives, as you read the stories in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, by stories in the New Testament, I I would be mostly referring to uh, the gospel narratives. Uh, Basically, in the genre of history in the Bible, we're left, uh, we're left to learn by watching. We must deduce the lesson ourselves. Again, the author does not tell us directly what the lesson is the majority of the time in historical narratives. For example, we're not told to uh, asking ourselves, what would I have done? But again, we live vicariously through these stories. These stories don't apply themselves to our lives. All right, let me go on. Number five. Historical narratives in Scripture are brutally honest. This is good news. They're not fanciful. They tell the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right? Uh, and this way, they do us a great service. It's been said that we learn best by doing. Unfortunately, in our doing, we often learn the hard way. So whenever possible, just watch someone else learn the hard way. Amen? That's a good quote. So whenever possible, just watch someone else learn the hard way. And we get that benefit. We get the benefit to look at the story of someone else's life unfold in Scripture, unfold through historical story narrative, and we get to watch and see how it works out for them so that we don't have to reinvent the wheel, go down the same path that they go down. We get to live vicariously through them. And fortunately, the Bible doesn't just give us all the rosy stories, all the pretty pictures. It gives us the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so we get to watch people go through the school of hard knocks so that we don't have to. Calvin said that histories are a true school for learning how to order our own lives. 
Number six, much the same way as a parable. In much the same way as a parable, the historical narratives in, uh, in regard to parables, those of you who preach parables, don't make the parable stand up, walk around the room, prance itself around, and do circles. You follow me? Don't make a parable more than it is intended to be. Let it tell the lesson, let it speak the principle that it intends to speak, and leave it there. There is a tendency for many of us to take the parable as we do this, as we teach, as we preach, and make the parable dance and do things that the original author did not intend it to do. In much the same way, the historical stories of the Bible typically have a singular point in their intent. All right. Um, number seven. This is more applicative for you, maybe. Uh, we need to come to grips as we read these historical narratives with the fact that the biblical historical stories are our heritage. They're our heritage, and we ought to take interest accordingly. From Adam to Moses to Abraham, through the prophets, through the captivity, to the freeing of Israel, to the birth of Christ, to his dealings with Israel in the New Testament, to the institution of the church, both Jew and Gentile, all the way through the historical narrative of Scripture. It's not the remembered, but the forgotten past that enslaves us. Uh, many have been credited with the saying that if we ignore our past, if we ignore history, we will be doomed to repeat it. Number eight. Although it is our heritage, we must understand, however, that these stories are not about you. These stories, listen to me now, these stories are not about you primarily or even secondarily. Primarily, they are about the characters and events themselves. Secondarily, and yet even more importantly, they are about God and His eternal story of redemption for the declaration of His glory. Don't miss that. It is your heritage, but these stories are not about you, primarily or even secondarily. We can't go to the stories of the Bible looking, therefore, to cherry-pick our own life lessons. If we approach the historical narratives of the Bible, asking first, what does this have to say or teach me, then we are going to misapply the lessons. And we're going to find lessons that weren't originally intended to be there. And that is easily done. All right? So we must approach Scripture with the right attitude. We must approach historical narratives. We correctly apply them when you approach them correctly. If you approach them for your own life lesson first you're going to miss the original intent of the author and therefore, again, misapply and draw a conclusion and a lesson out of the story that the original narrator never intended us to draw. Ask yourself all the while, what was the immediate intent or goal of the author as he wrote? And we trust that God, as the divine inspiration behind the author, author, we trust that God 
will apply it even to our lives hundreds of years later. All right, so next week, with that in mind, next week we go to history in the Old Testament. We're going to jump into Ezra and Nehemiah. Some of you have never read Ezra and Nehemiah. I encourage you to read Ezra and Nehemiah as a whole, if you're able, in the next week. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah picks up the history, our heritage, by the way, once again. It picks up the history of the nation of Israel, God's dealing with his chosen people, that mid-level that we talked about. We're going to see some individual stories, how they, how they impact the individual people who are involved. We're going to see how it impacts what God is doing with that chosen nation throughout history. And we're going to see how his overarching plan 